Welcome to the McCovey Croncast, the greatest San Francisco Giants baseball podcast of all time. And now here are your hosts, McCoveyChronicles.com site contributors Brian Murphy, Doug Bruzzoni, and Sammy Higgins. Okay, the first week of the season is is uh, out of the way, and uh, and it's we're all here. It's Brian, and it's Doug, and it's Sammy. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing well. The Giants are not a terrible disaster right out of the gate. That's. Um, I mean, we'll all take that, right? It's pretty fun. <laughs> uh, the big news is, of course, the the only thing that matters at this point is that Andrew McCutcheon had 12 pitch at bat to defeat the Dodgers. And uh, he's a giant now for life, right? Yeah, I mean, you get six hits in a game. I think we keep you. That's right. Uh, does Is he now, has he rested number 22 from Will Clark? Is, it, is that all it took? <laughs> I, I think he's he's earned the right to have it without people being like, oh, another Eli Whiteside. <laughs> I wouldn't say that people are going to think of Andrew McCutcheon when they think of number 22. For now. For now. No, I mean, he has like five and a half months left this year. So plus any possible playoffs. I don't want to discount it, but, right, you know. So he, he still has all that time for it to be Andrew McCutcheon's number that Will Clark was good enough to wear first. Uh, a question regarding Eli Whiteside. Andrew McCutcheon is older now, and he doesn't steal as many bases, and his range in the outfield has declined slightly. Uh, is Eli Whiteside faster also than Andrew McCutcheon? Eli Whiteside, of course, famously being the fastest player on the team when he was on the team, used yeah. as a pinch runner all the time. So is he faster <laughs> than Andrew McCutcheon? <laughs> Going to take a stab at this and say No. Doug with the hot take. I don't want to be controversial here, but I'm thinking. Uh, the the game was too long. We we agree. The Saturday night game, Giants and Dodgers, that lasted five hours and sixteen minutes. That was two hours and ten minutes longer than it needed to be, right? At, at least. And uh, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just, that was such a, because of the weird start time, which was actually ended up being pretty beneficial. Um, it was this really weird time of baseball because it was like it started at what three oh five first pitch ish, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, I mean like I had time to eat lunch, go for a long walk, get back before the ninth inning, and then you know eventually eat dinner in the in the following two and a half hours. Uh, I think it's the Dodgers who are the problem here, as I tweeted out just the Covey Chronicles thing tweeted out like the Dodgers have played this is they played three extra inning games this week and they only played three games they only played one two three they only played five games this week so <laughs> what's going on with baseball is the Dodgers they're the problem it's analytics analytics are ruining the game uh, the Dodgers are the most analytics team and they analytics and they, the analytics said that uh, long games are good, and actually long games are bad. So basically, Farhan Zaidi and Andrew Friedman and all the front office, the 22 other GMs they have working there, should all be banned from baseball for life. Doug, it sounds like you're proposing it's analytics is the new it's a socialism. <laughs> yes, it's analytics. It's a analytics. 
it's a slur now. And I agree. No, uh, the the Dodgers exhausted their bench players by the ninth inning or the tenth inning. Or no, by like the eighth inning of of Saturday's game, and they had to use pitchers as pinch hitters. And yeah, it's a brave new world. It, the the curious thing is the uh, Dodgers burning through uh, position changes and pitching changes. They were still fairly well positioned. I mean, they actually just have a stronger bullpen than the Giants in terms of the talent that they can bring out there. But they, I, I guess the Giants and Dodgers wound up being in the same position for different reasons. The Dodgers because of their decisions and, and the Giants just because of the quality of their depth. It was it was almost the equivalent that the Giants, as a pinch hitter with some exception, were almost throwing out a pitcher pinch hitting. And then bullpen-wise, they got some really strong performances. So this is how I segue into a positive. Um, what stood out for me last week? I was going to ask you what stood out for you, for the both of you, but I'm starting first because I'm doing the segue. And that is, I really think that the Giants' bullpen, yes, the offense is going to get the story, but the story was supposed to be that the Giants had built their offense for the season. But to me, it was going to be, oh my goodness, the, the bullpen with – maybe one exception was extraordinarily extraordinarily strong in the first week of the season to the point that it literally kept them in games, which at no point in the past 18 <laughs> months could we say. So congratulations, Giants bullpen. I was not sick of you already. I'm not <laughs> sick of you already. What, so what stood out for both of you this past week? Giants are four and four, and I don't think – uh, we anticipated that, but maybe you did. So what else would have stood out? I think one interesting thing that stood out when I started looking at the numbers was uh, uh, Gregor Blanco. Now, I, I don't I don't think, did he play today? Uh, this uh, Sorry, did he play Sunday? I don't, I don't believe he did. I don't okay, think so. I, no. These numbers have been updated for Sunday, but in uh, 12 played appearances, he's got five hits and a walk. So he's currently got the best batting average on the team. Pretty critical defensive error on um, uh, last Sunday on the Sunday night game, though. So it, it was a very strange thing. It was like, oh, his defense will be fine. And then not, I, not I don't put that on Gregor Blanco, though. I think that he called the ball and McCutcheon didn't back off. So I don't I don't put that on him. OK, I, I would say the ball hit his glove. Even if McCutcheon does not back off, if the ball hits your glove and you're a major league center fielder, you catch it. Okay, another hot take from Doug. <laughs> Doug's I'm come out swinging. Fire takes. <laughs> Shooters shoot, and he's he's going for it. People still say fire takes. Yes. Is that still a thing, or my? I... I don't know. The window. The, these things have such quick shelf lives these days. I have no. I don't know. It's also. <laughs> Doug, um, what's that for you? So you talk about the bullpen in general. I want to talk about one guy in particular, and that's Hunter Strickland, who has looked not only looked fantastic. Um, but he is, he's looked fantastic in the only situations that he's consistently been bad in over his career, which are save situations. Uh, if you remember 2016, he had a very, very good year, but every time Bruce Bochy would throw him in as a closer, he, there would be problems. He would, it wouldn't necessarily be his fault at first. It would be, you know, two slow hit grounders get to the infield, get through the infield and like an error. And then he gives up a bloop base hit and then a, a double or something, but he would never be able to get those saves. And so, and that was how it started. And then after that, he would be just bad in general. 
and it I can't speak for what's in Hunterson's head, but it sure sure seemed like it had gotten in his head that you know closing out games is it's more stressful, it's harder, it is a different thing than pitching a scoreless eighth inning, which Are he you... has been good at for, for most of his career. I am saying good things about Hunter Strickland, even though. <laughs> on Twitter. I feel like you're uh, roasting me right now. You're you're dragging <laughs> me. You're roasting me. You're lighting me up right now. <laughs> Why? I, no, I'm, this is, I'm not. I'm not verbally subtweeting you. Uh, uh, no, but you look at what he's done this year. He has had lockdown ninth innings. He has had you know save situation or not. He shows up in a game and it he calms it down. He is what Mark Melanson was supposed to be. Um, and it's one of those things that is just incredibly impressive and you hope that it keeps going because if it does, he's, he's going to be the reliever that people have been saying he'd be for years. Also, he continues a long tradition of the giants having a primary closer who goes down with injury and whoever they get as the backup does extraordinarily well in, in that <laughs> primary close. Last year it was literally Sam Dyson. And right. now it's Hunter Strickland, but I mean Tim Worrell is also one of Tim the Worrell. more famous, the most famous one. Um, yeah, no, it's and so Hunter Strickland has just been really impressive this year. And as a side note, uh, you know who else Vandy searches on Twitter but does it in a charming way is is uh, Derek Holland. Derek Holland. So maybe that's <laughs> what's taken the pressure off of Hunter Strickland. I want to say this about Derek Holland because I think we can agree that his lone pitching. Uh, performance this past week was was not a standout, was quite forgettable, but he brought a jug of water onto the field yes. to douse Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, he just poured basically like an Alhambra jug that you put on the water coolers and just brought it out and poured it on him. And he said, I uh, just got to switch it up, do something different. So I, that stood out for me about Derek Holland. That was his, that was his best performance of the week. And, and and this is getting to my larger point about the Giants. This is this is fundamentally, I'm really getting down to it, fundamentally a different energy for a Giants team than we've seen since 2014, I would say. Because 2016, you know, they were a mechanical, remorseless winning machine in that first half. But I, with the exception of Johnny Cueto... I can't remember what that personality was. You know, they were trying to, they were kind of feeling it, trying to get, you know, Michael was Morris back. They were trying to like no. get that. Go- no, it wasn't. It. They were trying to like, just get some, like keep something going. And in all the other years, they've had some sort of new, it's basically been, they, they bring in something new attacked as sort of a smelly salt. to like spark it up. And, uh, and, and I don't know this year is, you know, McCutcheon sort of stands out as that. And I want to talk about one of the quotes he had after the game for a second. But am I just, it's only eight games, but am I feeling, am I the only one feeling this? Am I in a reality distortion field or is this something that others are feeling? Well, no, I, mean, I, I can feel it too. But Sammy, you can talk. Oh, well, <laughs> you, I was looking Doug at feel it. Sammy can speak. <laughs> I was, before you brought up Johnny Cueto, I was looking at his, uh, his numbers for the season already and he's got... 13 innings pitched with one run scored, and he's got an ERA of 0.69, so that's pretty nice. Um, but he's been definitely nice. <laughs> he's been definitely uh, somebody to enjoy this season. This season feels like uh, you're right. It feels like there's more to hope for this season. 
Yeah, At I least mean, in terms of winning more games. Yeah. The the two shutout losses in LA, really those first four games in LA were trending more towards agonizing than exciting. And I think I felt more relief and surprise at the one nothing wins as opposed to but it didn't take away from them that they were predictive going forward. And then those second two games happen and you're like, oh, is it just this again? But that <laughs> Seattle game, is it just last year again? But that Seattle game was sort of, you know, they th- that game happens last year. They just give up and they lose 8 nothing. At least that's what it felt like it could have been and it didn't. And, and, you know, Longoria having the home run that he did as sort of his only hit really was was great. I mean, it, it it sparked them up, and instead of it sparking them up and then the bullpen torching the hope into ash, they they held the line enough for them to, for the Giants to maybe stay in the game. And then just pantsing the Mariners and and Felix Hernandez on Wednesday was just a sight to behold. Just early in the season, they're doing enough things differently from last season, and enough thing within enough within the expected range you know, what we expected from them coming into the season to sort of say, oh, I mean, they're a 500 team. Maybe that is they're going to be their best case scenario. But as we've all, as Doug, as you've mentioned, as as everyone knows, the Giants going from last year to a 500 team this year would be incredibly impressive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not great because they did a lot to try to be a playoff team, but getting to 500 from last year, that's that's a... That's a wizard spell that they've cast, or uh, that's a bad analogy. But they, you know, that is a that that would be quite the success. Well, and especially if they manage it with the injuries they've got early on in the season. I mean, if they can if they can hold it at five hundred for a couple months till Bumgarner gets back and you know Samarja, I mean, that'll be pretty much more than anyone thought that they were capable of to start the season with all of the problems that they've been facing. Do you think uh, that you know, oh, the Giants ahead. have already won? Giants have already won four games, which, if you check the stats, is actually more games than they won all of last year. It's <laughs> at least double what they what they won last year. Yeah. Uh, a couple of notes about that. The Giants won only four series on the road last year. Four. And, uh, they, yeah. They've split all their series this year, which I got to tell you, I'll take it. Yeah. They also only had three series. But... <laughs> Another thing about this year, you know, in terms of what stood out, you know, Johnny Cueto, great, great story and bring him up and talk about him, you know, definitely just a crafty writing, but he's, he's popping 92 on the gun, 92, 93 occasionally. And about Hunter Strickland, I thought he was the reason why it looked like he, his stuff was so much more crisp was that he was kind of restraining his velocity to have more control. And that wasn't the case at all. He's still throwing as hard as he ever has. And I don't know if the John Smoltz slider really makes that much of a difference, but it, the fact that he has a more he has a third effective pitch essentially, which lets him stay away, you know, it's not just four seam, two seam. Now he's got that slider in the mix. It's great. And I mean confidence goes a long way too, right? So he comes out the gates pitching so well, that's gonna build his confidence up. And we know empirically that he's a head case. So anything that that can calm those nerves is a great thing. This is all my long setup to let's talk about Tony Watson for a second. 
<laughs> who who the owners colluded for for the Giants to get for basically free, and uh, he has been so strong. And I think I've, I've see, I saw it on consecutive days, and I can't remember. I apologize. Someone tweeting out that they remind that he reminds them of Javier Lopez. He doesn't quite have the slinging, you know, sub, you know, the, the same delivery as Javier Lopez, but sort of that lowered angle, and he has a little bit more of a slurvy movement to his breaking ball, and his fastball is not overpowering, but it moves just enough. He spots his locations pretty well too, and I got to tell you, the Giants signing a bullpen guy who comes in and just mows people down, left-handed, right-handed, doesn't matter, is it's a breath of fresh air. It makes me feel better. <laughs> it just makes me feel better, like. That's part of the thing. Like, if the Giants lose this game, at least I know they tried. Whereas last year, I'm like, if the Giants lose this game, it's because they deserve it. And they deserve bad things to happen to them. And to be treated terribly. And to be reminded of how bad they are. They're so bad. This year, it's like, well, they they tried. That's eight games well, in. Already changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, think, I think it was, was yesterday where it was Miami and Philly where... Um, the Marlins lost like 20 to one. And you really start to think back, man, 2017 sucked, but it never felt like the, the they'd given up and it never felt like that the, the ownership had given up or, you know? So I think it, it kind of gave me a little bit of perspective. It's like, okay, you know, yeah, it, last year was a really bad year, but like at least they tried in the off season and we're seeing some results from that. And it's not as terrible as losing 20 to one. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think, so, I mean, that just gets to my main question. Uh, is the bullpen for real? That's my main, that's my main question for this entire podcast, I think, actually. Um, I think not all of them that have shown, that have, like, shown flashes of being great are for real. Like, I, Osage has already kind of started to look like the Josh Osage of old. Um, but I think enough of them will be good. And if I had to guess, it'd be, you know, Strickland, Watson, I think one of Pierce Johnson and Reyes Maranta will will be pretty close to what they've been so far. Um, and then someone else. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I think enough of them are going to be good that you can build a good bullpen out of that. Not everyone in a bullpen has to be great. Some of them are just going to be ERAs of, you know, 415 or something. Um, and because Melanson presumably will come back at some point. Will Smith presumably will come up, will come back at some point. They have Derek Law in Sacramento. Uh, They also have Stephen Ogert in Sacramento, though I don't know if he's going to come back or should. Uh, But I think that... That's the worst thing you've ever said, Doug. I know. (laughs) Should should I say, I know that he should not come back? (laughs) <laughs> Steve Oker um, is a, is violence saying that name. It's a threat. <laughs> um, but I, I think they have enough pieces to be an effective major league bullpen, which they, they did not last year. No. Uh, and they did in 2016, but they just did not have a closer. And so having Strickland ready to go, if Melanson can't come back and be Melanson, um, that's, that's so huge. I think that that bullpen is going to be, a big improvement, if not in like raw ERA or inherited runner numbers, like in terms of what actually happens in games and how much they can lock down a game. I think they're going to be better. I'm totally with you on Osich. He needs the clean inning. Otherwise he just seems to, 
he seems to fall apart. And Corey Guerin comes in in a presser situation, and he and Buster Posey, you know, he, they mess up the signs, whatever it is. There was a wild pitch, which was called a pass ball, but whatever. Um, yeah, there's definitely some concern, but I would also say with the Strickland idea, you know, Dyson perhaps still has the ability to show flashes, but he definitely seems like he's this huge question mark now. Even last year when he was solid, it was like, is this for real? And it seemed to trend at the end of the season towards, no, he hasn't figured out whatever has bothered him. But he's he's got such quality stuff that between him and Strickland, because I'm, I'm going to go with what Roger was saying, that when they cut open Mark Melanson, the muscle was gray. So, and in the history of baseball, it's they don't come back. The pitchers don't come back from that. Or it's going to be where he comes back and flashes and then he's back on the DL and has to rest it. I mean, within four months, he said he was pain-free and then now he can't throw. And that was just four months. And I think it was a huge... It, it will wind up being one of the costliest mistakes the Giants, the San Francisco Giants have ever made. Because signing Melanson definitely financially uh, tied them up for making other moves. I don't think I think that's indisputable, and I, I definitely think that that's a huge problem. I just don't assume that Melanson's coming back. So the Will Smith slotting in in the Josh Osich role, perhaps if Josh Osich winds up, you know, being the second lefty in the bullpen, I think that's the best. That's the hope, right? That's got to be the best case scenario. And then they've got Watson and Will Smith kind of sharing that that responsibility. Sammy, what did you think? That's just me rambling through Doug's great points. Um, you know, I, I don't... I mean, okay, let me figure out how I'm going to phrase this. I think that they've been a lot better than anyone expected them to be. I think going into this season the way that it was, there was a lot of weight on the bullpen's shoulders because we're down two starters. We're going to have to be going to the bullpen a lot more. And so even if they come down to earth a little bit, I, I think if they can help toe the line until people start coming back from injury if, if they do you know i don't i don't know about melanson but you know even just like bumgarner and um samarja you know if, if they can tell the line to that point they'll have done more than what was expected of them i guess we've really skipped over also the the starting rotation because the first week of the season you know the starter the rotation was not it was a fire. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. It wasn't a, a landfill fire. It was like. Um, uh, it, it was like you accidentally lit some laundry on fire a little bit. You put it out quickly, or like, oh, that's here's a better example. You're you're cooking on a pan. The the frying pan catches fire, so you put it out quickly. It wasn't that bad, but I don't know that we. Ty Block, when he doesn't face the Dodgers, is a completely different Ty Block. So <laughs> going forward, it will be interesting to see uh, what happens when he faces other teams because statistically he tends to not do that great, which is fine because it's nice when the Giants have players who play even better against the Dodgers. Just Ty Block against the Dodgers is unbelievable. He he turns them into a different team. It's pretty stunning. And maybe in reverse of that, Derek Holland is an effective starter against other teams as well. Chris, uh, rather than the Dodgers, Chris Stratton is my interesting question mark, and I want to focus on his his second start in a moment. And I guess whoever the mystery call up is going to be this week, that will be also an interesting question. Uh, Tyler Beatty, I guess, is the front runner. 
Yeah. And, and uh, when I did the special with Roger uh, last week, he sort of was like, well, BD's got the stuff that would make you think he's a major league talent, but he doesn't seem to be able to put it all together to be out on the mound. So, yes, another another week will, where we will see the the uh, bullpen pressed into service for sure. My what I was getting to with the Stratton th- uh, thought was, you could see it, you can see what's there, what works. His curveball is phenomenal, and he's trying to set it up with this fastball. He doesn't get ahead of hitters, though. He falls behind quite a bit. And the thing I was going to tie that back into is the thing that frustrated me, and I've mentioned this on the recap, so I apologize to people who read the recaps and listen to the show to see a repeaty beaty here, but what is going on with Bruce Bochy? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's simultaneously he's stuck, right? Because we're saying the bullpen's doing well, but if he starts sleeing on them too hard, they're not... It, he's going to burn them out. But if he leans on a shaky rotation to go three times through an order, that's also a recipe for disaster. So he could be stuck. But it just seems like with Stratton on Saturday and Block on Tuesday against the Mariners, which is probably not that fair, Block was not hit hard in the first inning, which allowed the Mariners to get their 4-0 lead. But he did stay in for the third turn through, which gave the Mariners their extra runs, which hurt the... Basically, it's early enough in the season... If the Giants are doing any sort of switch over into more analytics mindset, I haven't seen it, except for a defensive shift here, and maybe attacking Rich Hill with you know on the first pitch instead of letting him get a strike one with the fastball. That's the only; those are perhaps the only differences I've seen. Is Bruce Bochy's potentially stuck in his ways managing of the bullpen or of the of the pitching staff? Do you have any thoughts on that? Or is this just me being crazy? I I just, I look and look at the, the people in the starting rotation and I think, what options does he really have? I mean, no offense to any of those guys, but this isn't exactly the rotation he planned on having this season. And so, I mean, it's exactly what we said. It's kind of like he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. And if he relies too heavily on the bullpen and they start to collapse... Then he, you know, then he made the wrong call, and then he relies too heavily on the starting pitchers, and they start to collapse. Then he made the wrong call. I mean, I think he's doing the best that he can with the options available to him, and I know that's a very uh, hot take, but <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see him give clean innings to the Garans and the Osiches, really just the two of them, <laughs> as opposed to bringing them in in the sixth or seventh, or you know, the fifth or sixth, if he's trying to swing you know, trying to turn it over and for the hold on for the later innings that it just seems to me that when you, especially the thing with the Stratton start, especially was Stratton for like the, up until he got pulled from the game had already for three previous innings been falling behind hitters and walking guys to put runners on the first two innings. He gets bailed out with double plays. He bails himself out with double plays essentially, but you know, falling behind hitters should always—it's always a bad thing for pitchers. I thought, and I don't know. It just gets real tricky because it is what you say. He's doing the best with what he can, but also it's sort of like, what is, what are the Giants really trying to accomplish when they're changing their mindsets? I don't know. I think, like I said, Garn and Osage perhaps need less pressure to come into games, and if he's trying to train them to get better in pressure situations, I. 
honestly feel like we have a very, very big sample size for both of those guys to know that they're not that great. So why try to force them into being better than what they are? They're not going to be better than Josh Oshitz. Oshitz, I'm doing it. I'm saying Oshit. Josh Oshit is not going to be great when runners are on. And Corey Garin is apparently not either. That that just seems like it's been a pretty consistent theme. He's had these guys for a few years now, so I don't I don't know. That's that's where I get. That's where I'm like tied up. We can move on. I'm just talking through a rambling point. It's so early in the season; it's almost not worth caring. But also, it's sort of like, well, at least one of these other starters is going to hang around for a while. So how they're specifically managed uh, might be relevant going forward. Anyway, we've talked about all the weird stuff and the and the uh, and asked the big questions about the pitching staff of the San Francisco Giants. But here is something that we will both we will all enjoy talking about, and that is. Joe Panic, is Joe Panic a good man, or is he actually a nemesis and perhaps a supervillain? To who? I, well, I was just gonna tell you. I okay. live in Los Angeles. If you didn't know, anyone listening, I live in Los Angeles, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. After the opening weekend, this whole past week, people got physically visibly upset when they heard the name Joe Panic. How do I know that? Because I said Joe Panic's <laughs> name a lot. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I just he... picture you walking around LA and just randomly <laughs> encounter a new group of people. Joe Panic and see what happens. I do the I'm... double finger snap and point at random people and go, Joe Panic, and then, then they swerve <laughs> into traffic and crash. Uh, I'm picturing you having like a video queued up on your phone and then you're like Joe panic and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, it just came up like that. And you just do that like 40 times over the course of the day to random passersby. It's great because, you know, LA is a, is a town where people from, you know, all over the country come. So the sports loyalties are all spread, you know, fragmented there, but there for sure are loyal diehard Dodger fans, loyal diehard, you know, LA team fans. And it's, and when you find out a Dodger, someone is a Dodger fan and by only their hatred of what a giant did to them, it's like the most, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's, it's like half of a, what heroin must feel like because, (laughs) (laughs) because it's an amazing feeling. Like, first of all, you go, well, I didn't know this person was into sports. I didn't know this person was into baseball. I didn't know this person was a Dodger fan. Now I know all three of those things because Joe Panic gravely upset them. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, is is Joe Panic a good man? Is he a good person? Or is he actually a supervillain? Because he's making people who don't ordinarily feel things feel things very strongly. <laughs> I mean, he's a Buster clone, so he can't be a bad guy. <laughs> but couldn't it be like an Evil Dead situation where it's kind of his clone, but it's the it's like the the id version of that, I, the mischievous I, side of him? I think you're asking the wrong group of people this question because you know you ask Giants fans, and you're going to have one completely different answer than all the random LA fans you've been encountering. I mean, the thing is. Giants, uh, Giants players do get booed in LA for sure, but he came on so fast. He beat them 
everyone knows the stats. He, he beat the Dodgers two games in a row. You know, first time two game-winning home runs, one nothing. The first time in baseball history that uh, the first three runs by a team of for a team have been solo home runs off the same bat. Blah blah blah. But he and he spoiled the home opener. He spoiled the home opener. He exposed uh, to the to the baseball world that Kenley Jansen's velocity is dangerously low, so that it's it's barely breaking ninety. And you know he homers off of Clayton Kershaw one night and Kenley Jansen the next. Villain. <laughs> Bad guy, evil. <laughs> I mean, but again, only if you're a Los Angeles fan. If you're a Giants fan, he's not evil at all. I'm saying it's great. The Giants <laughs> need mean... a villain. The Giants need something to not just be they suck. Because when the Giants are bad and they're wearing those road gray uniforms, they just look like a toothache. They're really <laughs> bad and boring, and I hate watching them. But when they're wearing the uniforms and people hate them. That's it's it's invigorating. Even Joe Panic, he said it's great when they're booing you at Dodger Stadium. It's that is what a villain says. It's beautiful. Right, right. I think I think this all goes back to that great line from Star Wars Episode Three when Anakin said, "From my perspective, the Jedi are evil." <laughs> I I think that's your answer. So you're saying that Joe Panic is incredibly bad because he no, just I, quoted saying, episode three. No, no, no. I'm saying that, that that's a Dodger fan who's saying that. <laughs> I, I would say that what we should be in, we can all enjoy whatever the hell we want. I'm saying the, the beauty of it is that Joe Panic is not the least suspecting guy, the guy you least suspect of it, but just the fact that it's happened now you kind of go... Oh yeah, this is this is awesome, right? Because we don't. It's almost a heel turn, almost. It, it's it couldn't have happened to anyone else on the team. Everyone knows like Brandon Belt's character is established. Buster Posey's character, Buster Posey is imperialism. It's like benevolent imperialism, but it's still like. I'm Buster Posey, and I don't have any particular ill will towards you, but I will uh, not declare war and conquer you. And like, I will do these terrible things to you and make you feel bad. But I don't I mean don't personally. I did compare Buster Posey to imperialism before. I don't think I was expecting that coming in. Well, he gets compared to America, so I mean, I'm just drawing the... I'm just coloring that, that in a little bit more. But, you know, oh. Joe Panic actually taking up the mantle, or, you know picking up the shield as it were and saying, yeah, I can be that guy. <laughs> it's I mean, it's great. It's great. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing where it's a Bay Area team. So an easy comparison would be like actual villains, like the Warriors. And I just like, I look at Joe Panic and I look at like Draymond Green or Kevin Durant and I'm just like, no, I, I, I can't see him pulling that off. You don't think that Joe Panic is worthy of the arrogant season label? I, 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 I just don't. <laughs> him pulling it off i mean i can see him performing well i just can't see him embracing the villain he's halfway there i would love it if he if he started tweeting with the hashtag arrogancies because <laughs> <laughs> part of it would be like why why are you doing this <laughs> i mean i mean to be fair 73 and 9 is still on the table <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay but, okay a different <laughs> 
comparison would be look at who he's being evil against and doesn't that make him the good guys because the Dodgers are the one of the best teams in baseball they're the the ones that always dominate the division they just came from the World Series which they lost of course I just had to bring it up again but I mean when isn't he more of the underdog the, I the mean villain? the Dodger fan counterpoint is that the Giants can't be underdogs because they won three World Series in you know the last eight years the counterpoint to that is but you're getting dunked on by Joe Panic. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic and it's surprising. I think that's the thing. I, that's another sub like minor storyline of the week. Save for Andrew McCutcheon's uh, amazing night, which is what we open with and should be dismissed. Let's, you know, the old Giants, the holdovers are playing better. Just simply playing better. Uh, this this start to the season. And and that's great, right? And it, so the idea that it's it's Joe Panic who is like dependable, and you kind of expect he's going to be there. And we were so concerned with like he's the leadoff hitter; he's got to be. He's the la- logical person. Why not just just leave it alone, Bochi? Let him be the leadoff hitter. And now he's sort of he's got a, a a hate group. Like he's made people hate him now. That's amazing. And the Dodgers, yes, of course, he got into the rivalry. It's amazing. Um, I I think I'm just marveling at how, you know, the Giants just found another, they found something else. But instead of the thing they bought and brought home with them, it's the the old thing that was in the cupboard the whole time. That's uh, that was the most surprising thing. I just want to talk about Joe Panic doing something amazing. It's just (laughs) literally causing people's faces to get red in L.A. and to like twist and contort and like, oh. F Joe Panic. Oh, can't believe it. It's fantastic. It's it's glorious. I agree. That is beautiful. I'd like to uh, bring up and uh, revisit an article that was posted also on the site. And only because I, I want both of you to chime in on this. Ten years ago, uh, Dan Brown, who writes for the Mer- Daniel Brown, Merck Brownie. Because if I say Dan Brown, people are going to think... Um, uh, what are those religious movies? Da Vinci Crap. Code. Yeah, the Da Vinci Code. So the Da Vinci Code novelist wrote this article. No, uh, he, uh, the Mercury News, Daniel Brown, ten years ago in two thousand eight, after the first week of the season when the Giants were bad, wrote this article about fifty years because it had been, it was the fiftieth anniversary of San Francisco, of the Giants being in San Francisco, that the Giants have had a, essentially 50 years of misery. Now, obviously, there were good times in there, and they had Hall of Fame players playing and lots of great moments, but they hadn't won a World Series. And so all of that, you know, basically, they're big zero. And the uh, actual the actual article title is called, uh, if you didn't, if you don't read McCoveyChronicles.com every day, I'm, I'm just shocked. But <laughs> So you would know this. If you read this, it goes, 50 years, zero rings. The golden goose egg is eggs of Giants half century in, in SF proceeds to give 50 uh, painful moments of, uh, of Giants history in that time. One of those number 50 was Benitez signs compounding the error of the Joe Nathan trade. Sabian forked over 21 million over three years for a closer who on more than one occasion said, I did my job even when he didn't. So basically, it's just a list of pain and, and terrible things that happened to the Giants in the 50 years. And I I just sat there and I thought about it. I didn't do any research, which is where why I want to bring it up now in the podcast. I just sat and thought about, well, in that time, 
at least 50 things have awesome things happened to the Giants since then. But then I also thought, well, it's the 60th anniversary now, so now I have to figure out 60 things. And I feel like that's where I got into trouble. Basically on the site, you know, 60 things that have happened to the Giants in the past 10 years. Uh, and it's amazing. There have been easily 60 things. There's probably been closer to 100 uh, amazing, m- memorable moments of Giants history over just a decade. And we really are assholes. We are really <laughs> spoiled jerks. Uh, the Giants' t- last ten, year, the past ten years, have been uh, unforgettable. And I forgot a bunch of shit. So, <laughs> uh, I guess what I wanted to get at was, what are some of your standout moments uh, you, from you guys of the past ten years? Just anything. It doesn't have to go in any order or anything like that. Mm. I'm putting you on the spot, but I mean, come on. I know. What? Well. And I didn't get a chance to read that because you sent it to me right before the game on Sunday. And that's fine. Uh, one of the things I missed was uh, Cody Ross going going crazy uh, against the Phillies and, and the whole sorry doc, his name back, backwards spelling. Uh, that. I mean, Roy, Roy Halladay passed away. That's sad. I, I, maybe that's why I didn't think of it. But I mean, well, no, that was I one thing like I left I... up, but that was like a pretty big moment. <laughs> oh, I feel like my Cody Ross memories have been tainted in recent times, but that's okay. That also could be a reason, too. I, I think the Aubrey Huff stuff, I might have mentioned Aubrey Huff's inside the park home run in 2010. And as it, I don't remember if I mentioned it, but that definitely was tainted. But for sure, that was like one of the big, that was like the first moment, I'm pretty sure, where it felt like, oh, this is going to be different from last season, which the Giants were, were uh, in the playoff hunt till like the last week or two of the season in 2009. They just couldn't hit. But they had a different excitement. They sort of like ran out of the gates in 2010. And that was like a big moment where it's like, oh, we can do these crazy things. And it's it's like hard to like pick those kind of more, I don't want to say minor moments, but comparatively so. Because in the last 10 years, we've had two Cy Young Awards, three World Series wins, three no-hitters and a perfect game. So, I mean, you know, the bar is pretty high, like the bar for top 10. So... Oh, sure. But I, that's what I mean. Like, we could come up with almost 100 things that, that we just didn't. Um, All the little Yeah. yeah. But, so, yeah, what stood out for either of you? Well, for me, uh, I'm just going to bring this up again because it's a game I, I went. It was a game I went to, and I bring it up every time. People ask, what's the best game you've ever been to? And I'm never going to stop until I die. <laughs> uh, the, the Tim Linscombe game against the Braves in 2010. The mm-hmm. game one of the division series where mm-hmm. he you know, struck out 15 and it's, I have never in my life been actually like full on confident in the ninth inning of a one, nothing game. Like it's, it's not something that I have ever felt before other than that game when I'm like, Oh no, he's got it. This is, this is over. The Braves do not have a chance. And if I recall correctly, the game score or statistical thing was his game was still better than Roy Halladay's no hitter. Yeah, because he got a million strikeouts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was, see, that didn't even get on the list. It wasn't that I didn't make it and I didn't consider it. Like, I literally just sat and thought about things. <laughs> so it was whatever I could think of in 10 years that sort of did it. Um, and I, I counted a lot of drafting certain players and trading for players because there's there's a ripple effect. You know, drafting Buster Posey, you know, had this huge ripple effect. Yes, there were other 
Buster Posey memories specifically because they drafted him, but also just his presence there and how it, the Giants had a face of a franchise who are on national television now and had a, you know, basically who was taking up the mantle from Barry Bonds. Now it's a franchise recognized for Buster Posey. He's the one getting the marketing, changing what the Giants are about to people who are not necessarily Giants fans. And that's a big deal. Um, Brandon Belt, just the presence of Brandon Belt, all the controversy, the civil <laughs> war it's starting with Giants fans. <laughs> Hashtag teach the controversy. <laughs> I'm going to couple, and I, I'm pretty sure they're both against the Dodgers. Um, um, there was one that was two years ago. I just posted about it earlier where I think it was Ross Stripling had a no-hitter going, and he got pulled, and then Trevor Brown immediately... Uh, broke up the no-hitter with a home run, and then Brandon Crawford ended up walking off with a home run later in the game. That one's one of my favorites. And then pretty sure Tim Lincecum broke up a no-hitter by the Dodgers. I can't remember what year it was, though. That was oh, pretty see? Oh. He, yeah, batting. I, I know he broke up a no-hitter, but I, I think it was against the Dodgers. I also just remembered, I mean, Barry Zito's entire 2012 playoff run was amazing, but... You know, hitting in the World Series uh, is is definitely up there as well. Um, Bunting, I can't find the Tim Lincecum note that you're making. So in 10 years, quite a bit has happened, like a stunning amount of, uh, of events have taken place that could wash away that 50 years of, of you know, of history that, that Brown uh, wrote about. And, and I, I guess my bigger thing is, is that I can't believe that. <laughs> Just not. Yeah, because sort of my entire basis as a Giants fan was based around that part of Giants history. And the last I know, 10 like, years... Was that a formative article for you as a Giants fan? I don't <laughs> think it was formative. It was, um, uh, it was a... It you know it was a summation. It, it 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 didn't precede the feeling or the idea ideation or concept of what being a Giants fan was. It was a it was a declaration or 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 yeah, it was a summation. It was like yeah. this is why this is why I suck as a Giants. Fan. Well, and <laughs> this is why I, I'm miserable to watch baseball games with. <laughs> like I, I, like I said, I didn't get a chance to read it, but it sounds a lot like there was one that was written about the Warriors and the awful luck that they had in the 40 years prior to them winning in 2015. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, yeah, I really just need to stop complaining because <laughs> it's been worse. For, absolutely. All right. Uh, we didn't take any Twitter questions this week. We'll probably start doing that next week or beyond. And there's just so much to do on the website. And so <laughs> I don't think we need to have these podcasts run very long anyway. And there's plenty of stuff uh, for us to chew on anyway. So no Twitter questions this week, but there will be some next week and beyond. And so I wanted to quickly look ahead to next week and also do our picks to click this week uh, or for this coming week. And I think I wrote them down somewhere, but I definitely don't remember where I put what I wrote down. And I want to say that I picked Joe Panic. So. Yeah, that, that sounds right. I think you you picked Joe Panic. Sammy picked Buster Posey. I picked Hunter Pence. I think Brian, you win. Yeah. 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 I'll take. Though I mean, I'll I will say it. this for, for the Buster Posey pick. He did catch those two shutouts at the for, at the start of the year. So without his catching, I don't know. Maybe Panic doesn't win those games. He also he also hit his first home run since August seventh, which yeah. is. 
depressing. It's for someone in eight months. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was his only extra base hit in the second half last year, too. Uh, so, okay, so I, I'll take the, I got the, I mean, Joe Panic caused visceral, 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 visceral public reactions <laughs> to his name being uttered in the city of Los Angeles. So I'm going to say that that's, that's the win there. But just real quick, uh, and I didn't know he was going to do any of that. So it's not, <laughs> I wasn't cheating. So this week it's uh, no off days, I guess, unless there's another rain rain out. Uh, but so a solid seven days of baseball for the Giants ahead. Uh, three against Arizona in San Francisco, starting tonight, and th- uh, oh God, four against San Diego in San Diego. That's just depressing. That's just sad. <laughs> and the I thing mean, about San- games is that you can't even be like, well, at least they're getting them out of the way now. Because there's always 19 left in the year. That's right. You know, you, you play 12 and you look at the schedule like, how are there still 19 left? It's not possible. Yeah. But and it's how I it guess, is. Yeah, and I guess I'll, I won't dislike those games if they're competitive. But it feels like when over the last eight years that they played each other, it's they're always they feel like they're sort of one sided or just the Dodge or the Padres are not inherently a talented team. Like when you think about them, you just don't like, oh, they're they're full of talent. That could be different this year. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not looking to four games in San Diego, but well, and four games in San Diego feels like one long game that you never quite end. Oh, that's beautiful. You're telling me that is so true. It's so right. <laughs> Uh, so yes, this is like the middle five episodes of a Netflix series, essentially. <laughs> yeah. The um, I, I so, will say this, or to to speak in favor of that four game series, the the Padres do not have Hector Sanchez on the roster. So oh, that's strong positive. They do have Will Myers though, which is a problem. But yes, he's on uh, the DL. He's on the DL right now. Well, then never mind. I I I feel like I should go down there and watch a game just because it's down there. Anyway, so picks the click. Oh, look! Looking ahead, we should look ahead. the The Diamondbacks are, you know, they're they're playing very well. They beat the snot out of the Dodgers uh, when the Dodgers were, but that could just be because the Dodgers are not playing very well right now. It's possible. Arizona, though, is leading the division. They're seven and two. Padres are two and eight, but that just seems like they're they're playing rope a dope specifically against the Giants. So I'm oh yes, yeah, yeah no, that's they're they're just saving all their good games for the that's Giants. Right. <laughs> so seven and two, you know. Paul Goldschmidt, I think, is still pretty rusty, or he's not really getting it going too much offensively. I expect that'll change. Uh, I'm not looking for any predictions for for what the Giants' record will be, but having Arizona come in, uh, my standout for what I'm thinking about with that series is if the Giants can... To me, the Dodgers are still considered the class of the division. If they can play the Diamondbacks at least as well as they played the Dodgers, then the outcome is more or less irrelevant. I would hate to have them lose like back-to-back games because of blown saves. That would be bad. But <laughs> if the if the Giants can basically hang with the the Diamondbacks offense, then I I'll feel a lot better about that. If the Padres series is another split, uh I'll be okay with that. I'll take that. I think the bigger thing with the Padres is can the Giants, you know, not look miserable and bored when they're playing them. That's I want to see some entertaining games for once. Yeah, I think, right. I think that's about right. Like, I think I would be happy with the a split against San Diego and then avoiding the sweep and against uh, the Diamondbacks. 
I mean, I wouldn't be happy if they went three and four on the week, but I'd be like, well, it could be worse. Right. Which, to be fair, I never said last year. So. <laughs> right. Also, if they go three and four, that you know, that just feels like with what their rotation is at this point, and you know, that that feels like a pretty good win. If, if, right, we're pretty much all in agreement that if it's what Sammy said, if if they can hold the line. For for a month, you know, Samar just supposed to come back in in maybe a few weeks even, and I, that's not a that's not going to fix everything. I'm just saying, you know, they, you get more starters who can go six or seven innings solidly, and you know, Jeff Samar just going to give up at least three home runs per game. You know, the Giants can score at least three runs now potentially, so it's suddenly not looking so bad. So, um, I would say, yeah, three and four. That yeah, it could be worse, but also it's like that's pretty much in line with what they are. Right now. You seem pretty close to 500. You, you know, you take. Yeah. Nope, we lost Sammy. Hello? Oh, oh I thought you cut out. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you take it. Uh, great. So, picks to click. Uh, Ivan Longoria, because unless he's uh, being haunted by the ghost of Casey McGee, he can't stay this bad forever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Why did you say that? <laughs> Why would you say that name? <laughs> well, you know, it almost feels like that situation. So, you know, it, it can't stay this bad. And I'm knocking on a wooden surface. I'm knocking on a wooden surface as we speak. You trailed off when you said it can't be this bad in a Kruko-esque fashion. You're the way your voice <laughs> tapered off there. <laughs> Oh. oh man! Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Austin Jackson, who I think is better than he's shown so far. Uh, I want to circle back to Sammy's real quick. Sammy, if you win, you will. It's two points. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just telling you, it's two points. If if you're right, so you will be in the lead for sure. Um, I'm picking. Yeah, Austin Jackson's great. Austin Jackson's interesting. He he didn't hit very much, but and his some of his plate appearance were like. Huh, but he seems to be able. He definitely is an improvement over Gorky Hernandez. We're we're in agreement, right? We can see talent-wise why he's better than Gorky Hernandez. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I, one of those guys has a home run this season. Uh, fair enough, Sammy. No, that's you're totally right. He made some really good plays in center field. It is kind of interesting, though. You know, Austin Jackson being a, so great in center field. McCutcheon has shifted over so far. It's almost like he doesn't have to cover quite as much territory. It's a, it's just a weird defensive alignment. Anyway, uh, that's a good pick. These are both good picks because Longoria having a great week would definitely be huge. I'm going to pick a front runner though because I think he got totally jobbed yesterday and Saturday. I'm going with Brandon Belt. I think Brandon Belt's going to have an angry week. I mean, I would pick him every week, but I think that would get old, so. Well, I'm picking him this week because he certainly had a, a, a perfectly fine week where he was absolutely the second best hitter in the Giants lineup. Again, and no one wants to, like, give him any credit for that. Uh, I'm going to say this that this will be the week where it's like, oh, yeah, he can carry the offense occasionally. <laughs> I think he's going to get more opportunities to hit second this week. That's the other thing. The Giants, when it, it's a... It shouldn't be the case that when a team throws a lefty on the mound, that that in and of itself, you know, that strategy should not be so effective against the the Giants. 
Like if an yeah. organization goes, just throw a lefty out there, Bruce Bochy will fundamentally change how he manages his baseball team. Like that's <laughs> insane to me that that works every time, but it does. Um, I will say it, it will be good to face a, a pitching staff that's not like entirely left-handed. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. will be nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the credit to the Giants though, Clayton Kershaw and Rich Hill were, they were, their stuff was coming out of the gate was impressive. Like, they were dominant. <laughs> and the Giants, you know, they, they had bad at-bats too, but, you know, on the whole, you know, the pitching and the defense and the hitting, you know, they did the best they could against some extremely tough pitchers. Maeda just mowed them down, though. It was, it was, it was brutal. But <laughs> against essentially two really intensely tough lefties, they, they did the best they could. But uh, All right. And last thing I want to close, I want to close on this. What sound did you make when Andrew McCutcheon hit that home run? Okay, so my brother is visiting for WrestleMania because he uses the, the Wi-Fi. And uh, somebody was asleep in the house. And so as soon as he hit it, you can hear it off the crack of the bat. And I jumped up, and it was like an absolute silent scream because I didn't <laughs> want to wake anybody up. But I like hands in the air, silent scream. Doug? <laughs> uh, I think it was a, oh, like kind of like that i'm imagining you looked up from your ipad <laughs> no i was actually i was actually uh Kristen and i were were at a bar because she was going she was doing like country dancing she was doing line dancing and so we were at a bar and like i i was watching the game on tv while she was out dancing and i, I was like oh like oh i i thought they were going to lose and they didn't and with the call, the the call on that one, it was like you. There was no delay. There was no oh maybe. It was immediately high volume, high energy. So I mean, it's like you knew one from the sound of of the bat, and then from the immediate sound of the call, that one was going out. Right-handed power at AT and T Park. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> now, what about you? Uh, I got to step away from the mic from this. So I was sitting on the couch. And I bolted up off the couch, and both fists went in the air, and I made this sound. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> and my cat hid under the under the bed for several hours after that. <laughs> uh, so that was it. If you're not scaring your pets, you're That's not right. doing it. Right. You're not, you're not, <laughs> not doing it right. And if you're not upsetting citizens of Los Angeles, you are not Joe panicking correctly. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, at Mick Croncast, if you want to add us your questions for us to answer next week on Twitter. Uh, and you can also bother us at all of our Twitter accounts. I'm at every sixth day. Well, I'm actually at McCovey Cron. Uh, so either one. And uh, what about you guys? Um, I'm, uh, I'm at Sim. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you got yours out first. So you go <laughs> for it. I'm at Sammy Higgins, S A M I. Uh, I am at Moonwalk McFly. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.